The biggest international festival for the business of podcasting is back. The Podcast Show London will bring together thousands of podcast creators under one roof on the 22nd and 23rd of May. Also featuring major industry players, global brands and some of the most iconic voices in podcasting. Plus creator meetups, networking and an evening festival of unmissable live shows. Passes from £89. Book yours now at thepodcastshowlondon.com. Hey, true crime besties. Welcome back to an all-new episode of Serialistly. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to Serialistly with me, Annie Elise. Oh boy, do we have a lot to talk about today, guys. I mean, last week when I did this episode, we talked so much about the Savannah Soto case that I actually ended up putting the video version of it on my YouTube, which I normally never do. But so many of you guys have just been asking me relentlessly what my thoughts are on this case, what's going on with this case. And Today I'm going to be discussing a couple new cases, but the majority of the episode will be discussing updates about Savannah Soto because this case just continues to unfold. Day after day, there's a new detail released, there's new footage released, and today we actually finally got the update that we've all been waiting for. There has been an arrest, and it actually was something that nobody saw coming because it was a father-son duo. So I'm going to go into all of the details, the presser that came out, some of the horrific motives that were behind this, and something else that was so shocking in all of this is when they did the perp walk, the dad who was arrested actually spoke to reporters and to the camera, and what he had to say kind of left my jaw literally on the ground. But first, guys, I have some other cases that I want to talk with you about. So I want to start by talking about this fugitive in Colorado, and it's this mother who has been accused of killing two of her kids amid a custody battle, and she's now been captured overseas. But this was like breaking over the holiday weekend, and it was pretty wild. So I want to talk with you about this case. On December 19th, 2023, Kimberly Singler called to report a robbery at her house in Colorado. Now, the call came in just 30 minutes after midnight, and when police arrived, they found two of her children, a nine-year-old girl and a seven-year-old boy, dead. And her other child, which was an 11-year-old little girl, was badly injured, but luckily alive. Now, Kimberly, the mother, also appeared injured, and she and the 11-year-old daughter were treated on the scene by medics before they were then rushed to a local hospital. So, who would break in? Who would kill a 9-year-old and a 7-year-old? Who would rob them? I mean, what was going on here? Not only who would rob someone and then end up killing two innocent children in the process, but also... How would they have the time to hurt the other child, the other adult? Like, what was the truth here? Well, as police began their investigation and tried to piece together what must have happened in that house based on what they found inside the home, they quickly determined that the initial report of a burglary was actually unfounded. There was no robbery to begin with. It was all a lie. So an arrest warrant was issued for Kimberly on December 26th, and this arrest warrant was for multiple charges, guys. Two counts of first-degree murder, multiple felony child abuse charges, first-degree assault, 
and first-degree attempted murder. They also announced that she was going to be held on a $10 million bond. However, when they went to arrest her, she was nowhere to be found. She was a ghost. She disappeared. So the police department has kept her arrest warrant under seal for now, but they have said that they are going to release details later on. So as this hunt for Kimberly was going down, she was last seen on December 23rd. Then on December 28th, the Colorado Spring Police Department announced that they were officially searching for her. And by December 29th, police announced that they believed that she had already left Colorado, that entire area, completely. Colorado Springs' mother is on the run after police say she killed two of her children and injured a third just days before Christmas. In the early morning hours of December 19th, Colorado Springs police responded to a burglary call at 35-year-old Kimberly Singler's home. According to CSPD, they found Singler and her 11-year-old daughter injured. Her two youngest children, a 9-year-old girl and 7-year-old boy, were dead. I'm just really sorry for them. My heart breaks when I think about it. And seeing all of them when they play outside just makes me really sad. Singler and her 11-year-old were taken to a local hospital for treatment. Police say because she was considered a victim at the time, they allowed Singler to leave the hospital as there was not enough probable cause to connect her to her children's death. As the case unfolded, Colorado Springs police determined the burglary was made up. Court documents from around the time of the deaths detail custody hearings between Singler and her ex-husband. Those papers show the two were scheduled to meet at CSPD's Stetson Hills substation on December 16th. It's unclear if Singler showed up for that, but the documents show her ex filed an emergency motion for police to enforce the custody agreement on December 17th just two days before the children were discovered dead. You know, my heart really goes out to them and I pray for them and all of their family that going through this time. Singler faces 10 charges. Once she's arrested, she'll be held on a $10 million bond. So let's get into the custody situation here that was mentioned at the end of the last clip. So recently, attorneys for Kevin Wentz, the father of the children, says that he and his ex-wife Kimberly have been in a very contentious divorce and custody dispute since December of 2018, so about five years at this point. In a press release, the attorneys laid out what allegedly happened in the weeks and months before the children were killed. According to the dad's attorney, in September of 2023, Kimberly filed a request for a temporary protection order. She was alleging that Kevin waved a knife at her. Now, Kevin has denied the allegations, and that case is still open. But then a couple of months later, in November of last year, which a couple months ago, but now that we're in the new year, you know, I gotta say last year, a hearing on Kimberly's emergency motion to restrict parenting time regarding the same allegations about the knife, it took place, and the court found that there was no imminent threat from Kevin, and they rescinded that emergency motion order. Also in November, the court ordered the children to have additional time with their dad. This was around Thanksgiving, and then again December 16th through December 31st. The court outlined that the custody exchanges would happen at the police station in Colorado Springs, and then the next would be at a different police station. The court also ordered Kimberly to pay for Kevin's attorney fees, and the whole reason that this was happening was because of the allegations that the court found to be false. So her story was really now starting to backfire on her. Not only were they realizing it's not warranted, but actually now they were giving not only more time to Kevin, but also saying, Kimberly, you got to pay for all of these his attorney fees also. So it truly was backfiring. So now fast forward to December 16th, and it's time for the kids to go with Kevin. And Kimberly never showed up with the children. 
Kevin and his attorney both tried to contact Kimberly, and she didn't answer. So then Kevin's attorney filed an emergency motion for law enforcement to step in and to enforce his visitation with the children. So on December 18th, the motion was granted, and then a new hearing was set for December 20th. Now, going back to the timeline, that 911 call came in just after midnight at 12.30 a.m. on December 19th. However, in a very twisted detail, police later found out that Kimberly allegedly killed her two children sometime on December 18th, the night before, and she didn't call police to report this fake burglary until way later. It's unclear exactly how much time passed, so we don't know if it was 30 minutes, one hour, six hours, we really have no clue, but it is two entirely separate dates on here. So after days of searching, Kimberly was finally found. And get this, she was found in the fucking UK, guys. She was arrested in a hotel in Kensington in the West London area. She appeared in court in London for an extradition hearing, and she's going to continue to be held in London until her next hearing on January 29th. And this hearing is going to be whether or not she should be extradited to the United States, which we think, you know, of course, she obviously will be. Now, as I've been talking about this case, if Colorado Springs rings a bell because you are a true crime enthusiast and you've been watching a lot of true crime or listening to my episodes, that's where Letitia Stauk brutally murdered her stepson, Gannon Stauk. It was a horrific, horrific case, and the same investigators in El Paso County are the ones investigating these murders and attempted murder as well. Law enforcement, along with the DA, did an absolutely stellar, great job in Gannon's case, so we can only hope that at this point that these two children who were murdered, allegedly at the hands of their own mother, will receive the same justice that Gannon did. But it is a very interesting little tie to Colorado Springs. So while we're on the subject of piece of shit mothers, I mean, really, let's talk about who deserves the beauty queen, not beauty queen, but let's talk about who deserves the award for piece of shit mothers. And let's talk about Casey Anthony for a minute. I didn't think I was going to be talking about this chick again since that bullshit Peacock documentary got released. Sorry, I know I'm cussing a lot here, but I thought she was like off of our radar. But once again, she crawls out of the depths of hell cockroach hole that she's been hiding in for the last decade or so and she's back and once again I find myself talking about her which is just ruining my 2024 but basically following her bizarre attempt to tell her version of the truth in that psycho little series on Peacock where she kind of doubled down on the accusations that her dad George Anthony sexually abused her and was involved in Kaylee's death all of that stuff Casey Anthony's parents have now agreed to take a lie detector test so that they could squash the unsubstantiated rumors. In an upcoming two-hour film called Casey Anthony's Parents, The Lie Detector Test, George and Cindy Anthony will speak out publicly against their daughter, who was once known as one of the most hated women in America, and honestly is still known as that by me. And this was again following the 2008 death of her three-year-old daughter, Kaylee. Which, let's just be honest here, she probably is still the most hated woman in America to this day. Again, I know she is by me, but probably by a lot of people. So let's talk about this film. The film is produced by A&E, and according to sources, quote, a camera will capture the real-time responses to the polygraph questions in this documentary, along with each spouse's reaction to the other's answers and the lie detector results that come from it. So if you haven't seen the Peacock docuseries, honestly, don't waste your money, don't waste your time, 
But here's a quick summary of just a few of the, in my opinion, allegedly lies that came out of her like trout disgusting mouth. One was, quote, when I was eight years old, my father started to come into my room at night. I was physically hurt, scared, because I can't tell mommy what happened. She will get mad at me. That's what I was told. Another was, he would put a pillow over my face and smother me to knock me out. That happened several times. I'm sure there were times where I was incapacitated as a child, where my body was limp and lifeless. I mean, obviously, some pretty bold claims, right? Now, she also claimed that her brother Lee sexually abused her as well, saying, quote, Then my brother started coming in shortly after I turned 12, and it stopped around the time I was 15. It wasn't the same thing that happened with my father. My brother never raped me, but it was close enough where there was a pattern. So here's a little preview of this new documentary. The test is about to begin. Please remain still. Oh, yeah. This is really hard, especially when you know that I never got a chance to see my granddaughter again. He knows how important it is. If you have anything to do with Kaylee's disappearance, then the polygraph's going to show that. Is there a kernel of truth to any of the allegations she's leveling against you? Did you ever have sexual contact with Casey? Is your marriage going to survive this? Did you knowingly conceal Kaylee's whereabouts? Did I conceal her whereabouts? Did you conceal her whereabouts? Casey Anthony's parents, the lie detector test. So depending on when you're listening to this, if you're listening to this on Thursday, January 4th, it comes out tonight, premiering on A&E at 9 Eastern, 8 Central Time. And you know that I will be watching this. As much as I don't want to watch anything related to this family, you know I'll be watching it. And if George fails the polygraph, I might actually like croak, bend over, and die, and you'll find me eating some crow if he actually did what Casey is accusing him of doing to her because I do not believe it for a second. Also, let me know if you want me to do an episode where I recap this documentary and what went down in this, who passed, who failed, what the questions were. All I'm hoping is that they don't softball these questions. I am hoping that they ask them the truly difficult ones, not just what Casey alleged happened and her parents' involvement, the cover-up, all of those things, well, her dad, but I hope they ask the other questions, like the hard ones, like, when did you first start suspecting that your daughter murdered your granddaughter? When did you first realize that there was evidence to hide? Did you hide any evidence? Did you tell a lie to cover for your daughter? Like, I have so, so many questions. Let me run this lie detector test, guys. Like, get me in there. I will ask the hard questions, just like I would have asked the hard questions about Raquel when she did that bullshit Bethany interview. But if you don't follow Bravo or Scandival, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But sorry, going off on a little rant here. So now I want to get into the murders of Savannah Soto, her boyfriend Matthew, and little baby Fabian, who was her baby that was almost full. I believe actually he was full term and she was set to deliver and had everything scheduled to be induced. It's horrific and revolting. Like I said, there was an arrest made on Wednesday of this week and the press release actually came out at 11 p.m. on Wednesday night. So 
really recording this off the cuff for you guys, but it was a father and son duo who were arrested and charged. Now, here's what's interesting. Before the presser, they started with the perp walk, where they first walked the dad out to put him in the police car, and then they walked the son out. Now, as they were walking the dad out to the police car, reporters were obviously all over this guy. They were yelling things at him about Savannah's unborn baby, asking him if he had any remorse, why he did this, what the motive was. And the first thing he said to the camera is he kind of looked towards the reporter's direction and he said, fake news. Then people continued, obviously, talking to him as he's getting shoved in the backseat of the car, like the piece of human garbage trash that he is. And he then said, it's one-sided. You don't know what's going on. And when asked why he did this, and if he's sorry, and if he hid evidence, he just kept saying, it's one-sided. You don't know the whole story. You don't know what you're talking about. Now, let me give you a little description of this man. His name is Ramon Preciado, and he is 53 years old, and he is a very, very large man. I think we all knew it was going to be a large man based on the surveillance footage that we saw, but he was a very large man. So when they're harassing him, asking, aren't you remorseful? Don't you feel bad? He says, aren't you sorry for lying about what you're saying? You don't even know what's going on, which I haven't really ever seen something like that where a suspect or a perpetrator is so ballsy as to just like combat the media right out of the gate, but he did, which is actually even way weirder once we get to the presser because apparently he was very cooperative. So anyways, he gets walked into his car. Then the second person comes out for the perp walk. And the second person has very, very long hair to wear at first. It was really difficult to tell, actually, if it was a man or a woman because of how long their hair was. But it was, in fact, Ramon's son. And it was 19-year-old Christopher. Now, as he was walking out, he actually said nothing to the camera, unlike his father. So as soon as he gets shoveled into the car, the presser begins, and Sergeant Washington starts speaking to everybody, asking everybody, answering everybody's questions, and really laying the groundwork for what the truth is and what really went down. So he first announces their name, Ramon and Christopher, 53 years old and 19 years old, and that they are father and son, and he says that, they, that Christopher is charged with capital murder, and that his dad, Ramon, has been charged with abuse of a corpse. However, he did say that they expect more charges to be pending soon. So they say during the investigation, what led them to these two men was that they had collected Savannah's cell phone at the scene when they found their bodies in the car. Now remember, Matthew's cell phone was missing. And in my last episode, I had suspected and mentioned that I thought that it was missing because whoever did this took his cell phone because they had arranged the meetup and they didn't want it being traced back to him this to my to my knowledge i believe this even more now because they say they collected savannah's cell phone and that the secret service and their forensic team were doing the search on the cell phone data and they found a possible location where the suspect's vehicle from that footage was located so they made the location they did surveillance on this location and then they determined the exact house that these people lived in and who this vehicle belonged to so they went up to the house and the dad answered the door now, in the presser, they say that he cooperated fully, that he was answering questions. So then he and the son go down to the police station. They started being interviewed, and then the interrogations began. They said based on what was said in those interrogations, they had enough information that led to a warrant and led to those charges being filed. But again, they reiterated that more charges are to come. He, they believe that Christopher, the son, is the one who committed the murders and that the dad is the one who helped with the cleanup and trying to dispose of the vehicle and the bodies. 
Police also did make a mention about social media and how much misinformation has been out there. They mentioned how so many different names have been brought up, but how they have vetted almost all of those names and how there are not any other suspects at this time, that these are the two suspects and who they believe to be responsible. When asked about a motive, he actually said that it was narcotic-related and that it was a narcotic-related deal that had gone bad, which I think there was a lot of suspicion that there was some sort of drug deal or drug involvement in this, but what was interesting is they said that there was no connection with any of them to that apartment complex that the vehicle and their bodies were found in, that that apartment complex was actually just the chosen dump site for their bodies and for their vehicle. So they continue talking about the drug connection and the drug deal. They didn't say who was the one selling, who was the one buying, but that I think kind of again ties back to Matthew's phone being gone. I would assume, I could be wrong, but I would assume that he was the one who either set up the deal or solicited the deal or whatever it was to where then this person, Christopher, took his phone because he didn't want to be caught. That's my guess. They also talked about pending charges related to their unborn baby, Fabian. They said at this moment, it's undecided what those charges will be, if those charges will come, and that they're partnering with the DA's office and that they will be the ones who ultimately decide. Um, they do also believe that um, Matthew and Savannah were killed in a different location, not where that surveillance footage was taken, and that they were then driven to that location, again, strictly as a dump site and a disposal site for the vehicle and the bodies. They reiterated as well, again, that they do not at all believe in any sort of way that the dad was there during the commission of the crime and the murder itself. Therefore, he will not be charged with any murder charges, not accomplice to murder, not anything like that, just abuse of a corpse, because abuse of a corpse is the charge that comes anytime somebody tries to conceal evidence or get rid of a body or things like that. Now, the son, Christopher, who's 19 years old, had no previous criminal history, but his dad apparently did have some. They didn't go into what the details of those charges were and what that history is, but apparently he does have a bit of a history. So that's all they were really releasing. The presser was probably seven minutes. I'm going to play it for you because it is interesting to hear the questions and hear how the sergeant answers them. But that's what came out of the presser. And then I want to talk with you guys more about what the family is saying about everything. So let's have a listen to the presser real quick. And then we're going to hear from what the family's been saying over the course of the last several days, too, with everything going on in this case. So the individuals you saw this evening, the first individual's name is Ramon Preciado, 53 years old, SID number 443651. The second individual was Christopher Preciado, 19 years old, SID number 1191061. So the two individuals we, uh, we just walked out today, again, is a father and son. The first individual is a father, the second individual is a son. Uh, they're going to be charged... The, the father's, uh, I'm sorry, the son's going to be charged this, this, this evening with capital murder, and the father's going to be charged with abuse of the corpse. We do expect uh, more charges to be uh, to be pending. So I'm not going to go into the whole thing. We, we all know uh, what kind of led us to, this, to, to where we are today. Uh, I will say that when we recover, or when, when uh, the bodies were discovered on Danny Kay, uh, obviously the investigation began. SAPD detectives made that location and started collecting evidence. Um, one of the key pieces of evidence that we did collect at the scene was uh, Savannah's cell phone. And uh, so 
uh, that was given handed over to our tech our technology team who was able to do the download some information on there with the assistance of the U.S. Secret Service. We were able to get enough information, um, and so that that information was given to our detectives today. With that information, the detective uh, detectives were able to uh, find a possible location of where the, the suspect vehicle that was released on that on that surveillance camera, the surveillance video, a uh, possible location where that suspect vehicle might be. They made that location, and sure enough, the vehicle was there. They did a little bit of surveillance on the video or on the on the uh, vehicle, and then. Uh, were able to determine which house it belonged to. They went up, knocked on the door. Uh, the, fir the first gentleman, the, the, I'm sorry, the, the first individual, uh, the father answered the door. He knew why the police were there. Um, was, was cooperated fully with the investigation. We're right here to headquarters, and our detectives were able to start interviewing both the son and the father. Again, they were both at the home. They were both brought down here, and, they, and the uh, interrogation began. Um, through interrogating the individuals, the uh, our detectives had enough, uh, based on what they said, there was enough information there to get a warrant signed by a judge tonight, began to charge Christopher with capital murder and Ramon with uh, abuse of a corpse. Again, there will be more charges pending. This is what we have right now. I'll answer any questions. Uh, due to the capital murder for the son and the abuse of the corpse charge to the dad, does that mean that you guys the son killed them, and then the dad Absolutely. helped hide the bodies? Yes, yes. And um, so I want to touch base on something real quick. That since the release of the video that we set, that we put out on the 28th, uh, there has been, internet has blown up with um, people sending tips and people just sending misinformation. There's a lot of misinformation out there. These two individuals are to, are the only sus suspects that we were looking for. They, they were arrested. There were many names being thrown around on the internet. Uh, those people had nothing to do with this. We, we vetted them and, and everything. They, they didn't have anything to do with these murders. So the individual, that, again, Christopher, uh, we believe committed the murders of, of Matthew and Savannah. And then Ramon uh, helped. You didn't say why? Um, it, it appears to be a narcotic-related narcotic deal that, that went bad. Do we know the connection between this father and son and Matthew and Savannah or the uh, connection to the apartment complex? So there's no apparent connection to the apartment complex. It's just a place where they want to go dump, uh, dispose, or hide the vehicle with the bodies in it. And it appears that um, the it was a drug deal. So there was like a drug connection to the uh, the suspect and the two victims. When you say abuse of a corpse, can you talk about that a little bit? Was there any mutilation, or is that? It's just like when you um, hide, hiding the body, moving the body after after uh, discovering that and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. When did you keep them? When exactly? So uh, the the um, December twenty first, which is a Thursday, just before midnight, is when the actual murders took place. Uh, on that, and is, are they going to be charged for the baby? Because in the state of Texas, technically, they could be charged for a third. Right. So the um, like I said, there's going to be possible charges pending. More, more charges pending. Our detectives are going to talk with the Bear County DA to determine if they're going to be any charges facing, uh, they're going to be facing any charges related to the unborn baby. And do we know if she was dilated at all? If, or if I didn't have that information from the medical examiners. I know that she was scheduled to be induced, uh, and she didn't make her appointment, which is why the, the family went to the police to make the to file the missing persons. Did she say where where exactly they killed? I don't have exactly the location. We just know that they were killed from a, at a different location. 
and then taken to that the apartment complex to uh, to dispose of the to dispose of a vehicle and the, the body. So since the last update that I did on this case, which I will link in the show notes, Savannah's family has spoken to the media and said that they want the public to stop playing detective and stop spreading misinformation on social media because this case has gone absolutely viral bananas. People, there was a picture of a guy at a vigil, we'll talk more about this, where he was like overweight and every picture people could find on the internet of guys in the San Antonio area, they were like putting side by side. It's gotten a little crazy. So this statement came after the San Antonio police released that surveillance footage of the vehicle and the persons of interest and to be honest I totally agree with the family here like I said it's gotten really out of hand well it's great that general awareness and getting people talking can generate tips and leads only when it's warranted and I don't want to say when it's factual because then if it's not it's not a lead or a tip necessarily if it's a fact but you know what I mean like only if it's credible, not like these wild goose chase kind of things. And unfortunately, when cases like this hit the media and they go so viral so fast, it turns everything into a frenzy to where people want to be the first with the information. They want to be the one solving it. They want to be the one generating something that, oh, I'm going to have critical thinking here and I'm going to pull some information out of a hat that people haven't thought of or think of. And like, I'm going to be the genius behind it. And while that's all great and good to be doing that brainstorming, when it starts clogging up the tip line, when it starts doxing people who are innocent and had nothing to do with it, it gets very, very dangerous. And not only that, but the family says that the negative comments that they've seen on social media are painful because they're trying to mourn. They're trying to process these deaths. They say that no one in this world is perfect and they appreciate all of the prayers, the love and support that they have received, but they need you guys to back off. And I don't mean you guys like if you're listening, but I'm talking about people who are like taking this beyond to the next level. So the family also set the record straight about the GoFundMes, including fake GoFundMe accounts that have been created, which is truly revolting and disgusting. So there are only two official GoFundMe accounts, one for Savannah and Fabian and one for Matthew. There also have been a lot of questions about where the surveillance was taken. Now, from what I've seen from other official sources, that video was taken at the location where the car was dumped. In the video podcast that I uploaded to YouTube after last week's episode, I included an interview of Matthew's dad and stepmom, and I want to talk about how they said that they knew something was wrong when Matthew's dad broke down the door and saw that a candle was still lit, and they also saw Savannah's hospital bag was still inside their apartment, as well as the apartment looking normal, like nothing had happened inside. Now, interestingly, Savannah's mother commented that because she had the car seat in her lap, that that must have meant that they were going to the hospital. I'll play both clips now, and the reason I'm bringing this up will all tie together here in a minute, guys. As this was happening, Gabriel says he was racing to his son's apartment, kicking down the door after he didn't get an answer, fearing the worst. The candle. The uh, the candle was on. um... That was another sign that they had a candle on. Gabriel says the lit candle and Savannah's diaper bag being left behind told them something was wrong. So now going back to the surveillance video and the investigation into who was driving the Kia Optima and who was driving the truck, initially a lot of people thought that the surveillance footage was possibly a drug deal in real time that was possibly happening. But it was later revealed that police believed Matthew and Savannah were both already deceased in the car during the surveillance. Additionally, when you look at the surveillance video more closely, even though it's not the best quality to begin with, I'll admit, you can see a towel is being handed off or like things were being wiped down in the car. So I just want to clarify, 
It's definitely two people. There are two persons of interest, someone driving the Kia and someone driving the truck. Now, going back to the parents' statements, it seems like if both Matthew and Savannah left on their own accord, they weren't going to the hospital since the hospital bag was still there, and they probably weren't planning on being gone for that long since the candle was still on. Or maybe they were really heading to the hospital and just forgot about the candle and also forgot about the hospital bag because they were in a rush. It was a frenzy. I don't know, or maybe something entirely different. Who really knows? But in either scenario... I'm having trouble making sense of why somebody who is a very, very pregnant would be holding onto a car seat in their lap in the front seat to begin with. And it makes me wonder what on earth happened in that car before they were killed. Did two people get in the back seat of the car and they needed to move that car seat? Again, it just seems odd to have the person that literally is about to give birth holding onto something else in front of them. And again, if they were going to the hospital, I'm not sure why she would be holding onto the car seat either. However, it is possible that the car seat was moved onto her after she was already deceased so that they could make room for Matthew to be in the back of the car, or maybe even, I don't know, possibly to conceal her body. Something else that kind of came through my mind, I've been pregnant. I've had two children. If I was ever, and it's making me really emotional thinking about what she went through, but if I was ever in a position or a circumstance where I was fearful of my own life and my unborn's child life, I would probably go to desperate measures trying to do anything to protect them, even if that didn't make sense or didn't seem like it would work. So another thought, and I could be way, way, way off here, guys, so I'm not trying to like generate any crazy rumors or anything. It's just my thought as somebody who's given birth and has two children. If the gun was involved, which we now know that they were shot, Maybe she took the car seat and put it over her stomach as a way to try to protect her unborn child. I don't know. It just, again, the whole car seat being on top of her seems so bizarre. I don't think she'd be holding it to go to the hospital. That makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Making room for Matthew makes more sense. But then depending on if it was upside down or what way she was holding it, your belly, regardless how big you are, at least for me, speaking for myself, it could have fit in the top of a car seat like that. Like if you use it as a shield. So like... That's something that came to my mind too. I don't know. I know brainstorming is like sometimes can take a very hard left and go off the rails, but I just wanted to share that's something that came to my mind because I could imagine being desperate and trying to do anything you could to protect them. I, I don't know, guys. I want to know what you guys think. Now, like I said, a lot of people suspect that this might have been a drug deal gone wrong or a drug deal that was meant to be a setup as like payback or some type of robbery. There's also been a lot of speculation about where the murders actually took place. Was it in the vehicle? Was it outside of the vehicle? Were the bodies staged after the fact? Law enforcement has said that Savannah's bullet wound came from below her right ear. And some people believe from the helicopter aerial video of the scene where you can see the yellow tarp covering part of the driver's side of the car, that it shows that the glass on the driver's side car was broken, leading people to think that maybe she had her car door open, maybe the window was down, maybe she was shot below her right ear and the trajectory of the bullet and the exit wound would have shattered the driver's side glass. There's a lot of theories. Personally, for me, it's too grainy to come to that same conclusion, and for now, this has not been verified by law enforcement in any way. However, what has been verified by law enforcement is that Matthew was shot behind the right ear as well, except his gunshot wound indicated contact with the gun's muzzle when the trigger was actually pulled. So, whoever killed Matthew was literally right up in his face, right next to him.
The district attorney spoke to the media about why this is a capital murder investigation also, saying it's because there are multiple victims and an unborn baby, which are two aggravating factors in a murder charge. In Texas, this means that the suspect or suspects could be facing the death penalty or life in prison without parole. However, the DA said it is too early in the investigation to say if his office will seek the death penalty. In the event that happens, um, certainly that is something that we would potentially consider. Gonzalez says his office has a capital crimes committee that votes on whether to seek the death penalty in certain cases. Since Gonzalez has been in office, he's prosecuted more than 100 capital murder cases. We've only made the election to seek death twice in, in my office during my administration, one of which we resolved uh, before went to trial. The one that went to trial was a case of Otis McCain. He murdered San Antonio police detective Benjamin Marconi in 2016. We have discussions about, uh, obviously, how egregious a case is, what makes this a capital murder uh, case. Uh, other issues, for example, is whether or not this defendant uh, is a continuing threat to society. Because he says they also consider the family's wishes. The murders of Savannah, Matthew, and baby Fabian have put a spotlight on an ongoing issue regarding violent crime in the San Antonio area, and specifically the neighborhood area that the Kia and their bodies were found in. I know there has been a lot of discussion about certain people and things taking place on TikTok, but none of that information has been verified or even officially linked in connection to this crime in any way at this point. So I'm not sure it's honestly even helpful for me to discuss. It just seems like more of the rumor mill and not credible so far. So until I have more concrete updates and facts and evidence and footage, I'm not going to do another update on this. But as soon as I do have all of that information, which I am partnering with somebody close to the investigation um, who gets access to a lot of these sources. So I expect to have that soon. And once I do, I will give you another update. So if you are not following the podcast officially, make sure you hit the check mark or press the follow button, whatever you have to do so that you don't miss that episode when I release it. As I mentioned in my last one too, it's always so much easier for me to just jump on the mic the day of give the quick update. I don't have to wait for YouTube to approve it because they're they're trying to flag it or censor it or whatever it is. So it just makes it way faster for me to deliver the information to you guys um, right here on the mic. So make sure you're following if you're not yet. All right, guys, that is it for this week's case updates. I will be back with you on Monday with a brand new, very, very deep dive on a case and a very surprise angle that we're taking with it. So make sure you don't miss that episode. That is Monday morning. I also have the ad-free bonus episode if you are a Patreon or a subscriber, which comes out this Friday. So more access, all access, a lot of new exciting tiers over on Patreon. I'll put that link in the show notes. And as always, thank you for listening and tuning in with me. I love your feedback. I love hearing from you guys. So please leave whatever feedback you've got and I will talk with you again very soon. Until then, please stay safe. Please keep your loved ones safe and hug those next to you and just be nice. It's 2024. It's a new year. Let's all try to stay positive as long as we can, which will probably go out the window as soon as I watch the Anthony documentary tonight. But we'll see. Here's to hoping. All right, guys. Thanks so much. And I will talk with you soon. Bye. The biggest international festival for the business of podcasting is back. The Podcast Show London will bring together thousands of podcast creators under one roof. 
on the 22nd and 23rd of May. Also featuring major industry players, global brands and some of the most iconic voices in podcasting. Plus creator meetups, networking and an evening festival of unmissable live shows. Passes from £89. Book yours now at thepodcastshowlondon.com. <laughs> 